Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brenna Nath, Director of HW Plus and Events, subbing in for our Editor-in-Chief, Sarah Wheeler, to once again chat with our lead analyst here at HW Media, Logan Motoshami. This discussion that I have the pleasure of having with him is really a continuation for those who were able to listen last time to my interview with him that really dug into the recession and his six flags. In this conversation, we dive into why he could have raised the six recession flag, which I'm super excited about. So let's go ahead and just dive in. Logan, super excited to have you here on the podcast. First off, how are you doing this to this morning? It was a very wild morning. The, the bond market yields are falling. We have more recessionary data. So there's a lot going on on this Friday morning. I get to see firsthand, and I think it's what our audience sees a lot for or through reading your coverage. Right now, and I think I said this last week, the reason we switched to interviewing twice a week is because things are changing so fast. And I could see that now interviewing you last week, now I'm interviewing again, and we already have a whole nother range of topics to dive into on how things have changed. Maybe the biggest one that I think people are wondering about that it could be a good place to start is we're seeing all over the news, we're seeing all over the internet, this word recession. It's something you and I dig into quite a bit, your articles dig into. You are on the cusp of possibly raising your sixth flag. If you could, one, dive into what that sixth flag means and why Why are you have not raised it? Why are you possibly about to raise it? Share some of your thinking there. So the last final recession red flag I have to be raised is the leading economic index is a set of 10 different data lines. I know it recently peaked uh, a few months ago. So my job is to kind of guide people. This data line is going to start going lower and lower and lower. Um, technically, I have to wait four to six months uh, for me to raise the recession red flag. Uh, the data came out this week. It was negative again. Uh, uh on paper, it's already down four months, but that uh, first month was such a slight decline. I'd like to show people a real downtrend on this. So I can raise the red flag right now. I'm going to do it next month uh, because you know when you know the components of this data line and they're all falling kind of together, uh, this is a downtrend uh, in this uh, in this index. And if you go and again, my work is more historical progression models. So they're not designed to like say, A, this is a recession. They're designed to show people an economic expansion and recession. It never stops. Right. So the leading economic index always try to stress is that this data line falls before every single recession. You just need the other variables to come together. Uh, in the previous expansion, we didn't have that. We had the longest economic and job expansion ever. Only three of my recession red flags were up. Uh, before COVID hit us. And the economic data had been getting better in 2020. In fact, 
authentically housing broke out in February of 2020, right when we got that data in March. So we were never in this area before, but another a good example is in uh, during the housing bubble years, This uh, all the re- recession red flags were up toward the end of uh, 2006. So it took some time before the recession. So there's a different discussion that we'll start to have once the sixth recession red flag will be raised next month, but we're there in a sense. And uh, today, Friday morning, bond yields are rallying. They're about 2.78% right now as I talk. Mortgage rates should be getting better. So this is a topic that's confusing for some people. And I, and I do understand when people say, well, the Fed is going to keep on raising rates and mortgage rates should go higher. They're not going higher anymore. They've gone lower. And I can make a case that we we're basically almost have a 75 to 1 basis point spread lower in rates already because we had such aggressive pricing. The market was broken. So we had like six and a quarter, six and a half rates. I think today uh, uh, we're you know, almost at 5.625 to 5.75. Um, the bond market is doing what it traditionally does after 1982. When the economic data starts to get weaker, it stops rising, it starts to head lower. We have an 80 basis point move lower from when after the hot CPI print, it was about 350 on the 10-year-old, it's now below 280. Uh, If economic data gets worse, yields tend to fall. This wasn't the case in the late 70s or early 1980s. This is a different marketplace, but uh, I think people are still thinking mortgage rates have to go much higher and higher and higher, and it, it hasn't. So the the tug of war that we've talked about here on Housing Wire, are you part of the pro-US economic growth camp and growth around the world where rates keep on going higher and inflation and everything, or are you part of the economic data is getting weaker and traditionally bond yields fall in every single weakness or recession going past 1982? So right now, bond yields are doing what they traditionally do. It's not it's nothing abnormal. It's confusing because people thought, you know, rates had to go to seven, eight, nine, ten percent. That's why I've always said I'm not in that camp because I can't be in the pro-US economic growth camp uh, while these data lines are getting weaker. Uh, so it explains some of the action that's even happening today. Some of the manufacturing data is worse. China's really in a recession, Europe's in a recession, things are getting worse over there. So here, the US has a little bit better economic advantages. Uh, so our our declines isn't as noticeable as others, but it's certainly getting weak enough to where people are now going to start to challenge the Federal Reserve going out in the future. Because if your premise about raising rates because we have a commodity wars and oil prices were rising. Well, oil prices are falling recently. Wheat prices are falling recently. Copper prices are falling recently. Uh, economic data is getting weaker. There is going to be an inflection point for the Federal Reserve. At, at what point is it a detrimental to the society of American citizens of raising rates when economic data is getting weaker, supply is growing, uh, the growth rate inflation, you know, it's going to slow down just because oil prices have fallen down. But you know, what's the benefit of, of the Fed rate hikes at that point? That's that's a conversation that will happen more and more. But clearly, the 10-year yield has been speaking. And uh, it's again, it, it, we, we still have a lot left in the year, but it's, it's a fascinating concept right now between the pro-U.S. growth camp uh, or the world growth group people that think rates and inflation has to rise or the people that say that traditionally this is the time where bond yields have already peaked, the economics are going into recession, and bond yields should, as they have done, 
fallen and rates have kind of come down with it. And to clarify, and you might have got into this a little bit, do you fall into a camp or can you give some maybe percentages on like what's the more popular camp? Yeah, if I'm if I'm raising my sixth recession red flag, then I'm not uh, I'm not in the the U.S. has changed its economic growth patterns and the U.S. growth is about to take off and Japan and Germany's growth are about to take off or stuff like. So I'm not in that. And that's part of the reasons why. Uh, I created the six recession red flag model, you know, so uh, if people haven't been familiar with my work, I incorporated bond yield forecasting to rates. I started doing that in 2015. And in the previous expansion, I've just said the same thing every year where the 10 year yield will be in a range between 1.6 to 3%. That's it. You, you look at the historical downtrends and this is where we are. 2018 was the only real year where it was being tested. And, and you know, I talked about rates going down in 2019. Here, it's a much different uh, backdrop. Economic data is getting noticeably softer while we're dealing with higher inflation. The entire landscape of the world economic discussion changed when Russia invaded Ukraine because commodity prices really took a leg higher. So did bond yields and mortgage rates. Uh, And now, you know, even today, uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine even made a deal to uh, export some of their wheat. So you see these commodity prices fall, which historically is the case. So uh, I can't be in the um, seven, eight, nine, ten percent mortgage rate camp if I believe the economy is getting weaker. If to make a case about that, I have to say, well, this is going to be like the late nineteen seventies or early eighties, where we could have recessions and the Federal Reserve is hiking rates into it. It's just it, it would the bond yields would have already uh, indicated that the ten year yield would have been well above five, six, seven percent. Mortgage rates would have been eight, nine percent already. And it hasn't. So it's pretty late in the expansion to think that. You can make a case that if war happened uh, in a bigger fashion between China and Taiwan or Russia and Ukraine and everybody got in and commodity prices skyrocketed because the supply wasn't there. But it's it's hard to, to make it an economic demand case when we clearly see uh, uh slowing down in the U.S. economy. We clearly see Europe in a recession. We clearly see China's economy is in a mess. So uh, I, I have to be in the camp where the go follow what the economic data is saying. And leading economic index was the last one. And I'm going to raise the recession red flag next month. And then a whole new discussion happens outside of that, because it doesn't technically mean the recession is now. There's just things different to look at. Did not have that ability to do that last uh, in the last expansion because COVID was an anomaly. But uh, uh, we'll entertain that idea once it happens. But it does explain why bond yields have rallied this morning and why mortgage rate pricing should get uh, better while we see the Federal Reserve just about to hike 75 basis points. The ten-year the, the yield has gone against them in that manner because they were catching up to what the market was pricing. Uh, that's how aggressive the bond market and mortgage rate pricing had been early on after the Russian invasion. So it's a very interesting dynamic in 2022, how fast yields, how fast inflation, how fast uh, mortgage rates went up after the Russian invasion. But now we got to see the the economics are really taking over the uh, bond market uh, uh, trading at this point. For our audience to help put this in perspective, the sixth recession flag is the last flag, correct? Yes, it's the last one. The the, the first five were already risen. Uh, the, the last one was 
housing starts. Traditionally speaking, new home sales and housing starts fall into a recession. Once the 10-year yield broke above 1.94%, which has been a key level for me for you know going back to 2019, we wrote that article for Housing Wire back in March, new home sales are at risk because traditionally this is what happens, except the builders put a lot of pricing power since 2020. So they're more at risk right now because they're going to have cancellation rates and everything. It wasn't apparent back then in March because the data was still okay, but it was happening. So you look forward looking uh, uh, and then in June raised the fifth recession red flag that the housing construction side of this expansion is is kind of over. The builders are just going to manage their supply as much as they can to sell as much product as they can so they can keep uh, uh, as many homes off the market as possible until they find buyers. That's what they traditionally do. So the fifth recession red flag was raised in June. Uh, and then, you know, recently you see the builder survey that we had a waterfall collapse in the builder survey recently. That makes sense considering how much rates have risen. They're very rate sensitive. Uh, so that was the fifth recession red flag. The other ones were raised before then. So here, here we are, leading economic index. And, you know, we show these historical trends going back to the late 60s. Every single time before a recession, these data lines tend to fall together. Uh, it's 10 different uh, um, uh, components, 10 different data lines, and it's just following its historical perspective right now. So this is where we are, and we'll have a whole brand new discussion once I raise the red flag next month. To dive into that slightly, to give some perspective, what happens, You, I know it's a whole different discussion when you say when the sixth recession flag goes up. Does it turn into, to give a little bit of a foreshadowing, does it turn into slowly removing the flags to get out of a recession? Does it come into, a, you're, you're saying a whole new data point, but do we backtrack or do all the flags just disappear at once? Or it is this sliding up and then the sliding down scale? Yes, we actually then, when we are in a recession, we have to create recovery models. So the America's Back Recovery Model that was written on April 7th, uh, 2020, that was primarily based on the how crazy COVID uh, was for the uh, uh, economic recessionary data. Like April 7th, I said, okay, you know what? The 10-year yield is above 62 basis points. The St. Louis Financial Stress Index is already recovering. This is it. We're going to write it right here because this is where the recovery was. The leading economic index bottomed out in April, and then it started rising every single month after that. So there is going to be a time where we go, okay, we have to look for when is the recovery coming? And the leading economic index and other things will take us out of the recession as well. Um, but we are just entering this phase right now. So the next discussion is because this, this model never stops. It actually keeps moving on a, on a monthly basis. So we find the inflection point on when the economy is bottomed out. And then we ride it all the way back up, just like the leading economic index has done in every recovery out there. And there are certain data lines. And remember, every... Every economic expansion and recession is unique. There's the sectors of the economy that uh, uh, were overinvested, uh, uh, too much demand, can't sustain it. They have to lay off people. So we adjust to that. And I think every person adjusts to each recession and expansion on, on what they need to look for. Of course, COVID was the biggest anomaly ever because, you know, the U.S. was still in expansion. And then, you know, we had a global recession just because people couldn't do what traditionally they can do. But now it's much different. The world is kind of out of the COVID uh, mess and we're all operating in a normal function. So people can spend and buy, but there's going to be a time where the economic data has bottomed and then we'll take the recovery up. And that's the next stage 
But now we're at the point to where we look for real recessionary data. And what we've had early uh, this year, starting from January, wasn't recessionary data, even though GDP has uh, could be contracting back-to-back quarters. When you have a recession, real incomes, employment, industrial production, uh, real sales, those things tend to all fall together. They're not falling uh, so far, but we're getting to the point where you can start to see that. And you know, even in 2006, when I had all recession red flags, the recession didn't happen until 2008. So there, the timelines of each recession is much different. Uh, but we're clearly at the point to where everyone could kind of see what's going on. So the ball will be on the Federal Reserve's uh, uh, court right now to to see what they say uh, about this because uh, they kind of you know even back in 2006 uh, kind of didn't know what was going on back then. 2018, some of the economic data was getting weaker, and they kind of pivoted then. So. Us market players are kind of thinking, when do they finally say, okay, that's it. There's not much we can do. And I think that's the next stage of the Federal Reserve discussion. Uh, even though we all can see people who, are, who track data for a living, you could all see what's going on. But they're, they are just following their dual mandate. Their dual mandate is maximum employment. The labor market is still good, even though we can see some turning in the labor market. Uh, and their price stability is what they want. So they want the growth rate of inflation to come down. We do see a lot of positive things in that area in terms of supply increasing uh, and demand getting weak enough to create more of the growth rate of pricing to fall. And that should be more evident going out in the next uh, a few months. So it's just an exciting time in the sense that if you track data, you get to see what's going on with this kind of environment uh, after coming off of the COVID recovery. Do you... We've talked about this throughout the years, really, because um, for those who don't look and have, I have had the pleasure of chatting quite for years now, really almost a decade, which is fun. But uh, looking kind of forward, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out maybe some timing. And you and I have chatted about prediction over the years. We often go back to data and research in the charts. Do you have any timing that you could it, give to this conversation about like, when do you think things will really start to shift? How far can people kind of look? Are we talking, we have half a year left in 2022, we're about to head into 2023. How far do you look or could say like, this is the timeline for things to shift or what you're wanting? Is there any color you could give there? Usually, usually you want to kind of think of this as when the sixth recession red flag is up, probably three to nine months. Uh, uh, that the data starts to get uh, uh, noticeably weaker. Um, we, we actually already see some of that. You know, the manufacturing data is already kind of getting into the recessionary stage. Uh, the housing data is actually getting into a recessionary stage. The um, uh, retail sales, if you adjust it to inflation, is there's, there's not much growth there. So we're kind of already there. But usually the inflection point for the Federal Reserve, kind of three to nine months, and then we... Then we'll take it. You know, the, sometimes these these things have uh, longer lags, and sometimes, you know, maybe the Federal Reserve and the government goes, okay, okay, we cry, uncle. All right, we're cutting rates. We, we're long, and that, in a sense, would be a positive for the economy. And that's the thing about housing. You know, uh, the reason they get lower rates, lower rates, is to, you know, produce consumer goods to spend in a spending economy. That's kind of why, you know, even in the two thousand recession. Housing did a fine just because rates went lower and people bought homes here. 
uh, rates that are unbelievable. I mean, I can make a case we have 4% increase in rates. You know, if you take 2.5% lows that we had recently to 6.5% highs, that's it's a massive rise. So uh, rates falling, bond markets falling, uh, uh, that is to stimulate the economy. But that's to the point where the Federal Reserve says, okay, uh, our price stability mandate has been met and we're going to be uh, uh, cutting rates or something to that nature. We're not there yet with them. They are they are bent on uh, making sure inflation doesn't rise. They don't want the same mistakes that happened in the late 1970s where they 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 kind of take their foot off the pedal and then it picks up. So it's a different dynamics. But I think we're we're there in the sense that we can all see the economic data getting weaker. We already see it in housing. That we see it in manufacturing data, but the general uh, economy data is, should be starting getting noticeably weaker three to nine months after the uh, last recession red flag is up. And again, each cycle is so unique and different. You know, during the housing bubble years, uh, you know, 2005, six, and seven, you can see credit deterioration. People were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies every single year. And the credit boom facilitated that. And here we don't have any of that. I know a lot of people are putting focuses on auto loans. If you look at auto loans delinquencies, we're still actually very lower than we were during the longest expansion in history still. So there are things to look for, but the three to nine months after the recession red flags are all up, you tr traditionally will see weaker data than what we've seen. But if the Federal Reserve changes, you know, if bond yields start to come down, housing stabilizes. Uh, they start doing Fed rate cuts, kind of like what they did in 2018. Uh, in 2018, the Fed pivoted. Uh, they said, okay, we raised rates too much. We're going to start cutting rates. Uh, and the economic data was getting weaker, but nothing recessionary. And they pivoted then here. I believe they don't want to pivot because the growth rate of inflation, if inflation was stable, I believe that we would have been done with rate hikes already. Uh, that would have been it. But because they're fighting inflation, uh, uh, they're putting their you know foot to the pedal and pushing that forward. So very interesting dynamic in this uh, expansion and recovery and when we go into the next recession, because we're dealing with so many variables still that are part of the global pandemic. And, and, and we have inflation around the world. And then we're seeing some deflationary factors already around the world. Uh, as well, price. You know, one one thing is Rolex prices that you know some of us track. They're already falling, considering you know all the money that was made uh, in the markets. All that excess was being spent on luxury goods, and you could see those prices rolling over. Freight shipping rates are falling over. Commodity prices are falling over. These are the things that we try to track and gauge. But the U.S. economy data is getting much softer. Uh, I, I believe the Federal Reserve knows this. They, they're just bent on getting inflation down because that's their dual mandate. Uh, and uh, it's just hard to say, well, oil prices, can the Fed really control the supply of that? Not really, but the dollar getting stronger, usually world growth slows down. That wasn't working because of the Russian invasion. So different things, but very interesting that all the data points are now getting weaker together and they're correlating with weaker data around the world as well. Logan, that was such a, I think, great uh, pulse on what is happening right now. I think in the conversations that I've had le with lenders in the industry, we we do look back quite a bit. We look at 2018, we compare to the past and maybe not compare to 2008, but we also look at the housing crash and how things appear now. And I think the, the extra notes that you added at the end 
how inflation is impacting the Fed's decision now, what things are happening globally are all important factors for people to keep in mind. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up that you'd want to add? One thing about the uh, existing home sales report that came out, uh, still savagely unhealthy. Um, Sales are declining noticeably, and we still have double-digit home price growth. This was the whole concept about the savagely unhealthy market theme is that because inventory is working from all-time lows, it's going to take time to work itself up with higher rates. Uh, you know, in twenty in twenty fourteen, when we had you know almost near two point three million total uh, housing units uh, for sale, that growth rate of pricing cooled down much faster because there was more product out here. Here, it's just going to take a little bit more time. Uh, inventory is rising, but we're still below 2019 levels. The areas of the U.S. that have cracked into the 2019 areas, uh, uh, you know, places like Phoenix or Sacramento or Boise or stuff like that, those are actually, to me, the healthier markets because the what happened with inventory was a savagely unhealthy thing. You don't want inventory at these low levels. We all see what happens with pricing. So uh, even though there was still the savagely unhealthy market uh, theme with the last existing home sales report, there is positives that inventory is rising. It's not rising as fast as a lot of people thought, but still it's heading in the right direction. And that creates the B&B market, boring and balanced. We got to get back there. Uh, we don't want any of this uh, kind of price action anymore. It does nobody good for home prices to accelerate like they did in 2020, 2021, and, and even now in 2022. So inventory increasing, positive. Inventory going back down to you know the lows, not a good thing. And this was part of the uh, premise with the team higher rates camp was that we had no other mechanism. And I'm very blunt in how I say this, put home sellers and home builders on their ass by unless rates went up and and rates you know oddly enough the russian invasion actually facilitated higher rates faster and that in a sense was a uh, uh, a balancing factor for myself one thing that i was anticipating that didn't happen until last week i was picturing that purchase application data on a four week moving average would be down 18 to 22% earlier in the year but i've noticed now that i've looked at all the data i've concluded that 4 to 5% mortgage rates weren't doing the the kind of damage that I thought. And because of the rise of arm loans, especially the uh, arm loans has mitigated some of the uh, damages of the 30-year fix rising, but 5 to 6% mortgage rates uh, were. Um, so uh, we finally got to the 18, well, I think we're down 19, 19.5% on a four-week moving average. It took a lot longer than I thought, but you could see that the the, the market really got changed for the worse when mortgage rates got to 5 to 6%. And we see it in the new home sales data and their confidence data as well. So we're working through that process. But again, for me, you, the, the faster we got off of those extreme low levels of inventory, the better it is because a balanced market is what we want. The housing market is going to be here uh, every year and uh, people need to buy homes or sell homes. So you want a more functioning working place. And once we get back to 2019 inventory levels, which is 1.52 million to 1.93 million, I talk about this all the time. Uh, once we get back there, then I, I take the savagely unhealthy housing market off because the 2019 housing market was balanced. The 2018 housing market was balanced. Four months supply, those inventory levels, even though they're at four decade lows, there were it was enough inventory to have a stable marketplace. And hopefully now everybody could see the concern of having inventory break to all-time lows during this period where more people were looking for housing. Nothing good happened because of this kind of price gains. And now 
All of us have to pay the price for home prices growth. The only people that really made out well were homeowners because they had excessive equity and especially those sellers who took that excess equity and bought other houses. You know, those people made out well, but for home buyers, very stressful. And rent inflation took off on top of that as well. So it was a historical housing inflation uh, event in the history of U.S. economics when we were told for so many years that housing would have this major deflationary collapse. The exact opposite happened, and nobody could ever change this because the housing bubble boys 2.0 from 2012 to 2019 on a historical basis had the biggest whiff ever recorded in history, and there's nothing they can do about it because they're all going to go to their graves missing these horrifically unhealthy housing inflation event. Well, Logan, I'm going to be sad to pass these interviews back to Sarah because I love the deep, the deep download, the passion that comes across in these interviews. And I know our audience loves it too. But Sarah's coming back, our editor-in-chief, to continue these interviews. But thanks for letting me sub in for these past two times. And thanks for your insights. Always fun, Brenna. After a decade, it's still a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.